um, we're preparing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit unlike the world has ever seen. And, um, and that's, that's really exciting and it's, it's really fun to say and it resounds in your spirit when you say it because it's the truth. There's a day coming when the Spirit of the Lord is going to be poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Even on the men servants and maid servants, he's going to pour out his, his spirit in those days. And everyone's going to prophesy and there's going to be weird stuff going on. Um, I know that's true because part of that prophecy out of Joel was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And what happened in Acts chapter 2 was real bizarre. It was really weird. Uh, a giant flaming tongue entered a room where people were praying, much like this. There were about 120, and that's probably about how many approximately are in the room. And so imagine a, a, a giant tongue descending through the ceiling that's on fire. Wouldn't that, I mean, that would flip your wig, right? I mean, people would be trying to crawl under the carpet to get away from that thing. But then it, it splits into a bunch of small tongues and rests on all of our heads. And pandemonium breaks out. It's, it's beautiful chaos in the Holy Ghost. And everyone starts speaking in, in tongues. And <clears throat> I don't know what happened. Somewhere in between that moment and, and when everyone was speaking in tongues, they took that party outside. And a bunch of people are noticing now... <laughs> That this Sunday morning church seems to be very drunk with strong drink. They, they're, they're supposing that they're drunk with wine. And Peter stands up and he says, These men are not drunk as you suppose. <laughs> and, 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 he, and then he says, Today, you know, it's fulfilled, this prophecy out of Joel. And so. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about how to, uh, how to pastor an outpouring today, because it's coming, and we're going to be ready for it. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be as ready as we know how to be. I mean, no one's ready for, for God to show up in a room, but <laughs> I tell you guys, it is coming. It is coming. He is coming. Not an event. A, a man is going to show up. It changes everything when uh, Jesus goes from a, a book that sits next to your bedside table and a fancy set of rules to live your life by to a live man with fire in his eyes whose head is white as wool. Woo! When he shows up, it's going to be crazy. <clears throat> and people are going to be manifesting. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Um, let, me, let me define the word manifest real quick. It comes from manifestus, um, and it's where you get the word manifesto list. And so like a boat that is carrying a bunch of goods you know, across the sea or a lake or whatever comes to a harbor, a port where these goods are supposed to be delivered. And what's presented is a manifesto list, which is everything that's hidden in the hull. And so, how many of you guys have heard it's bad to manifest a demon? Right? That's what the church says. Clean it up, man. You're manifesting a demon right now. 
I tell you guys something completely different. It is a great thing when a demon is manifesting because it's losing its power to hide in your hole. You've come into a safe harbor where everything that you're carrying, good and bad, is now going to come out. And people are going to see you. They're going to see the great things, and they're going to see the things that the Lord is taking out of you, and it's going to be a glorious, glorious day. Um, so manifestations of the Holy Spirit um, and, and, the, and the phrase gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually used interchangeably in, in Scripture. It's the same thing, the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But over recent years, there's been more of a, a delineation or, or a difference in those terms. And contemporarily, I would say that gifts of the Holy Spirit would be like enablements of the Holy Spirit or core competencies or um, superpowers. Those would be <laughs> gifts of the Holy Spirit. You guys have superpowers. <clears throat> Welcome to the fam. Some of the, yeah, the Incredibles. Sasha, you'd be the little kid that runs fast. <clears throat> okay, so some of those gifts or manifestations of the Holy Spirit, or what we usually called gifts, would be prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, and administration. <coughs> These are gifts of the Holy Spirit or core competencies where you just so happen to excel in them so much that it, is, it seems supernatural because it is. Those are superpowers. Okay, so manifestations of the Holy Spirit just contemporarily is different than gifts of the Holy Spirit, but in the Bible it's the same. But let me just talk about this for a second. Manifestations has, been, has come to be known people reacting crazy or like bizarre occurrences in meetings when the Holy Ghost you know, really comes or everyone realizes that you know, eyes are open and people are recognizing that the man Jesus Christ is, is in the room in the form of the Holy Ghost. And what that does sometimes is make people react like a toaster oven plugged into a nuclear power plant. <laughs> when you have the power of immortal God flowing through your weak flesh, sometimes, sometimes you react. <clears throat> so I want to talk about that. Um, but let me just close up the manifesting section. Manifesting the Holy Spirit, just like manifesting anything else from the hull of a ship, is simply giving physical evidence of this unseen, unseen force that lives within you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. Yes. And that's pretty cool. Yes. So we want to manifest the Holy Ghost, right? Yes. <clears throat> and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are pretty much the same thing. Well, here's, a, here's some titles for the Holy Spirit. This is why we want to manifest them. The Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, is the author of scripture. He is the comforter, counselor, advocate, the convictor of sin. He is a deposit, a seal. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Woo. He is our guide. 
This is why we want, we want to manifest him. He indwells, he dwells in every believer. Yes. Let me just touch on that for a second. This is out of Romans 8, Ephesians 2, and 1 Corinthians 6. The Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of God's people. That indwelling is the distinguishing characteristic of a regenerated person. From within believers, he directs, guides, comforts, and influences us, as well as producing in us the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5. He provides the ultimate connection between God and his children. All true believers in Christ have the Spirit residing in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is known as an intercessor, a revealer, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life, the teacher, the witness. Come on! We definitely, we definitely want to manifest this guy. Yes. <clears throat> and he is a person with a personality. Just because the word the comes before his name doesn't mean that he's a thing. He's a person. And just because it is at the name of spirit, he's not a thing. <laughs> he is a person. And he appreciates being appreciated. He appreciates being recognized. Did you know when, when Paul prayed that prayer in Ephesians, Lord, open the eyes of their hearts, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might see the length, width, the height, the depth the love of Christ, and to know this all-surpassing power that's working in the saints. That prayer, he didn't pray this prayer. Although, th there's nothing wrong with this prayer. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to offend anyone. He didn't say, come Holy Spirit, and begin to try to conjure up the presence of God. What he simply said is, open our eyes to recognize you're already here. That we are surrounded by glory. The only difference between... A boring church meeting and a crazy awesome church meeting is someone opening their eyes. Shabba. Put the Shabba in your roundy. That's some of my prayer language. No one get uncomfortable, please. <laughs> just... I have a goofy prayer language every once in a while. <clears throat> I've got three. Did you know that you can speak in the tongues of men and angels? And there's no scripture that says you can only have one prayer language. Ask for more. I've got, I've got two and a half. Half of one is missing a lot of vocabulary. <clears throat> okay, so when outpouring, when outpouring happens, how many of you guys have been in a room where it feels like Jesus might return? Like in a meeting, you were like, you're looking around because he's going to sneak through the wall. That's, that's like an outpouring. You know, you feel the presence of the Lord. You, your eyes are open and his, his presence becomes much more tangible. All your senses are being opened to his movements. And, and all those veils and filters and all that stuff is being torn down because the presence of freedom came in the room. And I like how we pastors pretend like we know what we're doing in that moment. <laughs> I tell you, no one <laughs> knows what they're doing in that moment. But it is only the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance that gives us any clue what to do next. So, um, 
how do we pastor this kind of thing? How do we, how do we pastor a moment when Jesus, who his, his, one of his favorite things to do is to turn water into wine. When he walks into the room, there's a bunch of water around. He's looking at that water like, <laughs> I love turning the water into wine. <laughs> I mean, I got a water bottle right here. What if it just turned into Holy Ghost wine? Because he walked into the room. All the water in the room just suddenly turns into wine. And you know what? Me, you, and all of us, we're lightweights. We haven't experienced much of it. It would take a couple sips, and this meeting would get crazy. I'm serious, guys. <clears throat> um, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Was he, was he trying to, like, say, the Son of God has arrived on the scene, and to prove it, poof. <laughs> no, he, he wanted his buddies to drink it. He wanted, <laughs> it was a great party. It was a great wedding. They'd run out of wine. And he didn't think that the party should stop. And because he loves to change the nature of a normal thing into something fit for a wedding. Do you guys? I'm going to try so hard not to manifest because I have no idea what kind of background any of us are from. But just so you guys know my heart, I have nothing but reverence for the Holy Ghost. But I grew up in a weird, holy rolling church where someone would play the tambourine and someone else would fall out in the ghost because of the beautiful noise that tambourine just made. And, and so, like, I'm very used to... The Holy Ghost, in, in, in certain ways, I definitely don't want to become too familiar with a God that I barely know. Because He will terrify you. Do you guys know that the first miracle of Israel when they left Egypt, and the first miracle of Jesus, both had to do with giving His people something to drink? When Moses left Egypt, with all the Israelites, they didn't have water for quite a while, and then they came to this place called Mara, and everyone's like, woohoo, we found an oasis, and they go to drink the water, and it's poison, it's bitter. And so everyone starts grumbling, which is understandable, honestly. Three days without water. And there's pregnant women, children, livestock. Um, and so uh, Moses is shown a log or a stick. I have no idea how big it is. Sometimes I think it's like one of those Gaelic game logs that the Irish people use. And like, <laughs> I mean, it could have been. I mean, God really could have given him a workout. But, it, or maybe it was like a little stick. I don't know. But God showed Moses a stick, and Moses like, I'm going to throw that stick on the water. It didn't even say, God said, throw the stick on the water. God just showed him a stick. It was like, stick, water, throw. Water is now sweet, which represents the sweetness of the cross being thrown onto bitter humanity, turning us sweet. <clears throat> and so bitter water was turned into sweetness, and then Jesus comes along. He's like, that's not good enough. Water's okay, but let's turn that water into wine. My people have tasted my sweetness, now they're about to taste my joy. <laughs> the 
Lord told me three things about Cana, that, that first miracle of Jesus, the water and the wine. These three things. We often, uh, as a church, think it's our job to turn wine back into water. Any water that doesn't turn to wine, this is number two, any water that doesn't turn to wine means that Jesus isn't at that party yet. And the word is pre-wine. The washing in the water of the word, right? That Bible. Where's my Bible? I love my Bible. Y'all think that brainwashing is a bad thing, but I want to be brainwashed by the water of the word. <laughs> I want it to seep through every pore of my being and so that everything I believe lines up with everything in this book. <clears throat> I want to be brainwashed. And the word, the word is pre-wine. That doesn't mean that you, you stop reading it if, it if it's not happy. It means that you store it up in pots like those water jugs and wait for Jesus to come to your party because you're going to have a whole lot of joy when he does. Yeah. <clears throat> That's good. Good news. So let me, let me touch on point number one. The church. This is not... I love... Let me, again, I have reverence for the body of Christ. <clears throat> it's it's Jesus' bride. Anybody want to go up to some husband and start talking bad about that husband's wife to him? Especially if that husband's God. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. So hear me out. Hear my heart when I say this. The church for nearly 2,000 years has been trying to turn wine back into water. In other words, um, you know, we get an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's meant to be enjoyed, but instead we explain it, indoctrinate it, package it, and reproduce it. We create a monument instead of a movement. Something that the Holy Spirit loves to do is just come and love on His kids. And it might not make sense. It might be beyond any doctrinal understanding that you've got worked up so far in your knowledge of the Word. But let's just enjoy it. <laughs> let's, just, let's just really enjoy His presence. That's not me talking down on, on doctrine or anything, but it's really hard to make a doctrine out of Acts chapter 2. I mean, that is weird. That is really weird. It is really hard to make a doctrine out of the Son of God horking a loogie in some mud and rubbing it in a blind dude's eyes. That's weird. If we start doing that, if we become the church indoctrinated with the loogie horking in the mud to rub in blind people's eyes, church, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> it's meant to be enjoyed. Um, all right, let me move on. Let me just say this. Uh, sometimes I, I believe the Holy Ghost holds back what he wants to do because he's afraid that we'll build a, a monument. Instead, around a revival instead of just enjoy him. <clears throat> okay. There is um, an insanity in the bride of Christ right now. Um, there's a complete dichotomy. If you were to take the whole body 
around the world as a whole, half of the body wants to be led by the Spirit and half the body wants to be led by their own minds or by tradition. And, and the Lord is going to clean up His church before He cleans up the world. And so um, there's either going to be a crazy reformation of love where the most charismatic people on the planet befriend the most cessationalist people on the planet or the, the people that believe the Holy Ghost is doing nothing and the gifts don't apply, that Jesus doesn't speak to us anymore. There, if there's a reformation of love where we are, instead of judging and, and instead of having this subtle sense of superiority over churches that we call the have-nots, that will save us a civil war. That will save us years of pain and heartache and rebuilding. We want to use our sword of truth against the unseen forces of evil and not against each other. When Jesus saw his disciples manifesting, he called out the Spirit. Got excited because he was watching them get delivered. He didn't use his sword of truth and stab his friends. Yes. <clears throat> um, Abraham Lincoln had the unbelievably difficult task of winning a war without villainizing the opposing army. In just about any war, a tactic that the leader uses is to dehumanize and villainize the opponent, the evil forces, you know, the, the other army, in order to rally his troops. That he makes them less than human, so killing them is fun, or they're, they're doing a, a great thing by ridding the world of their filth. Abraham Lincoln had to win a war where afterwards he needed to reunite the two sides. <clears throat> And so what he did is he, he villainized the mindset. He villainized the being duped into believing that slavery is okay. He villainized injustice instead of villainizing his brothers in the South. Which is what we're going to do as a church. We're going to recognize that being duped and tricked out of enjoying the Holy Spirit is a terrible thing, but it doesn't make any of our brothers enemies. <clears throat> um, how else do we uh, pastor an outpouring? There's this phrase I've heard growing up in the church that says, if you can't find it in Scripture, then throw it out. I believe that comes from good intentions, from not wanting to be misled or get off into cuckoo land. Um, but <clears throat> in actuality, it's, it's not entirely true. Even though it's, it's usually... Um, it starts as, as reverence. It actually is just control and fear masquerading as reverence. Uh, because the problem with saying and believing, if you can't find it in Scripture, then throw it out, means that God can do nothing new. No matter how much I love this Bible and want to be brainwashed by it, a book with a beginning and end cannot contain a God that has neither. This book is meant to reveal him. The problem with believing, uh, if you can't find it in Scripture, then you have to throw it out, are numerous miracles that have happened, documented miracles that have happened, outpourings of the Holy Spirit that have happened, that you would, you would have to completely negate basically every revival 
that has happened since the ascension of Jesus and say they were in false doctrine. You'd have to throw, I mean, Smith Wigglesworth, I mean, he's, he's a hero. I've never met him. Um, I've read some stuff about him, but he kicked a dead baby off a stage and it landed alive. Jesus never kicked dead babies. He, he didn't. But kicking that dead baby brought it back to life. So you can't throw that out because God loves resurrected babies. <laughs> You'd have to throw out all sorts of amazing miracles and say that Jesus can do nothing more than what's already happened. And that is a really boring way to live. Um, my Bible says greater works. Well, they do because I go to the Father. My Bible says above and beyond. My Bible says that the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written on what Jesus did. Instead of saying, if you can't find it in the Bible, you have to throw it out, I think a better way to phrase it is, if it doesn't add up to the truth found in Scripture, then you have to throw it out. And the truth found in Scripture, the overarching theme, the most important thing in all of history that will endure forever is love. Love, love. And God will do anything to show his love to his beloved. He will do anything. He will make the sun stand still. He will walk on water. He will walk through walls. He will spit in mud to heal your eyes. He will do anything to show his love to you. Well, Jeremy, I feel like you're leading us into... A place where we can fall into wide open delusion. Yeah. <laughs> where's, where's the order? <laughs> you, you, let me say, I, I haven't seen anything good coming from judging someone who is uh, manifesting something in a meeting when the Holy Spirit shows up. I haven't seen anything good from judging them, whether or not that's actually the Holy Spirit or not. Why not just let it be a mess? Come on. I'm just saying. We're his kids, and kids are ticklish. I've got three kids. One of my kids is ticklish in, in the ribs, and another one of my kids is Evelyn is, is really ticklish on her on her legs. So Judah's ticklish in his, in his ribs. Evelyn's ticklish on her legs. And if I come into the room and I've decided it's rib tickling day, then Judah's going to be rolling on the floor laughing, and Evelyn's going to be she's not going to stand there like judge him. Like, don't you know how to... That's not even ticklish. My ribs aren't ticklish. Why are you rolling on the floor? <laughs> but the next day, I go into my kid's room, and I decide it's, you know, leg tickling day. And I go in there, and I'm tickling Evelyn's leg, and she's rolling on the floor, and Judah's like, that's not Papa. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ticklish on my legs. That's not Papa. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to get to the point where there is order. <laughs> but first, let me say, let's not judge each other, and let's re leave room for mess, because if we don't leave room for mess, we will not leave room for the Holy Spirit. 
Proverbs 14.4 says that when there is no ox in the stable, the stable is perfectly clean, but with the ox comes great increase. Would you rather have a messy stable with an ox or no ox at all? Would you rather have a clean church with no power or a complete mess and revival? So now let me cover that question. Are you leaving us wide open to fall into delusion now? Um, Paul uh, was addressing this kind of disorder in Corinth. The Corinthian church, they were babies in the Lord, obviously, but they had every spiritual gift in operation, which means... Babies were trying to figure out how to drive Ferraris, basically. Like, they were figuring out superpowers. <laughs> and, and the church meetings were sometimes a mess. And so Paul addressed it. This is what he said. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophet. In other words, you can control how and when you manifest the Holy Spirit for it to be the most beneficial and life-giving to a church. The mature will grow up into this. We will hold our liquor, and we will stand in the midst of outpouring and be able to really minister in that place. I don't want my freedom or my worship to keep someone else from experiencing the Lord because everyone is at completely different places in their walk. And we have, we have new, new members come in. We have... Uh, visitors all the time, and, and a lot of people come in here, they've never been around the Holy Spirit, ever. And so, um, if, if you're barking like a dog, or rolling on the floor, or clucking like a chicken, I, these things have happened in Toronto, the, the Toronto blessing. If, you know, it can affect them experiencing the Lord. Don't hate me, it's what Paul said. <clears throat> but here's, here's the thing we can be a people that knows how to really enjoy the Holy Spirit and function in love and bring other people into the kinds of things that we're experiencing that's what Jesus does we can operate in love and it will get crazier and crazier and more and more fun um what I want to also uh, just avoid as a church is, um, is that control spirit, though, where we, we can put people into so much fear that they end up having more faith in the enemy's power to deceive than in the Lord's ability to lead. Wow. We want to just avoid that altogether, so let's do that. And um, I believe that we're going to see things that we've, we've never seen before. There are going to be miracles, unlike anything that has happened in the Bible or in history. There are going to be signs in the heavens, or signs on the earth, wonders in the heavens, or the other way around. There's going to be crazy stuff on earth and in the heavens. And that's not figurative. That's not like, you know, the, the super spiritual seer intercessor is seeing, you know, some clouds move around. There's going to be literal apparitions, crazy things happening in the sky. Jesus was discovered by people that discovered a star. There, Bob Jones prophesied, oh, Bob Jones, Lord, 
We love Bob Jones. Thank you for his life and his ministry. I ask that you would pass down that, that mantle of love to us. Bob Jones saw a comet that no astronomer saw coming, prophesied when it would show up, and it did. I mean, that is a literal sign. It's not figurative. Uh, Bob Jones, <laughs> just love telling Bob Jones' story. He um, was talking with Lou Engel at the end of the, this Trail of Tears march that they did, and it had to do with abortion, and this was over a decade ago. Bob Jones prophesied to Lou Engel, and he said, the abortion problem in America will come to a head, and it will be a battle over RU486. Isn't that the abortion pill, RU486? That's the number? Or 586? 486. And then Bob says, and as a sign to you, there's going to be a, a solar flare. Like, there's going to be a literal sign in the heavens. And so, um, the sun let out this giant solar flare at the end of the Trail of Tears. And do you know what section of the sun it was out of? 486. Section 486. Do you know what the, the battle, like the, the forefront of the abortion battle in the U.S. is today? It's over that pill. It, because under Obamacare, it would force any corporation to provide abortion pills to people. This is something Bob Jones saw over a decade ago. Isn't that crazy? No one even knew what RU486 was back then, unless you were like a, a doctor or worked for Planned Parenthood. And so... I got into Bob Jones' stories because he did things I'd never seen before. He prophesied things that, um, in different ways than I'd ever seen anyone prophesy out of the Word. We would be in meetings and Bob Jones would say, he would get up on stage, grab the microphone and be like, well, y'all are about to smell the flowers. <laughs> yep, yep, here come the roses. And then everyone smelled roses. It's weird and awesome. That's a fun church service, right? <laughs> that built the faith of everyone, but it wasn't, it's never been in the Bible before. And so, um, I started off by saying, uh, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming, and there is. And what we can do is grow in love and understanding of one another, not judge each other, um, because then we will be prepared for a crazy big outpouring. And the Lord will be able to entrust people's hearts to us. There will be many, many, many people being saved because of this place, coming into the kingdom, getting discipled, and falling in love with Jesus. If we can prepare our hearts for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that will be something we've never seen before. If we can choose to not be offended and to not judge, He is going to entrust the hearts of thousands, even millions of new converts to us.